Hello, and welcome back to It Bees Like That. Today's episode is on Disability Rights Ohio. Um, Disability Rights Ohio is a nonprofit corporation with a mission to advocate for an equitable Ohio for people with disabilities. Um, essentially, this organization um, helps people with disabilities be able to stand up for their rights, be able to make sure that their rights are being upheld, and basically just helping them continue to live normal if anyone ever tries to change their way of life or make things difficult for them. Disability Rights Ohio is here to help. Um, They were established in October of 2012 and is designated under federal law as the system to protect and advocate the rights of people with disabilities and as the Client Assistance Program under the Rehabilitation Act. Disability Rights Ohio provides legal advocacy and rights protection to a wide range of people with disabilities. This includes assisting individuals with problems such as abuse, neglect, discrimination, access to assistive technology devices, special education, housing, employment, voting, community integration, and rights protection issues within the juvenile and criminal justice systems. So essentially, they are here to make sure that the people who have either physical or mental disabilities are able to get the care that they need and if somebody is caring for them, that they're caring for them properly instead of, like, abusing them or neglecting them. So now let's just kind of get into the different programs that they do because they really do a lot. Um, And they were there for a lot of the laws and acts that were passed to help out disabled people. Um, After we're done with that, then we're going to go on to the stories Um, I actually have three stories from their website that um, honestly make me like kind of tear up um, because these people were basically left like destitute, like they either lost their jobs, their homes, and Disability Rights Ohio was able to help them. Their first program is called Protection and Advocacy for Assistive Technology, or PAAT. And essentially what it is kind of goes back to the mobility episode um, where people are able to get assistive technology, whether that is like something that they're able to type out what they have to say if they cannot speak or it is things to help out blind people, um, deaf people, anything like that. With this act, it made it easier for these people to have access to those types of things so that way they can, you know, do the things that need to happen for them to have a normal life. Um, So, yeah, they essentially helped with that um, and kind of established this back in 1994. So I thought that that was pretty cool. Um, And they really help through representation and self-advocacy. So they basically try to help that person also advocate for themselves. And they try to advocate in a way that it helps people understand that this person needs this. The next one is the Client Assistance Program, or the CAP program. Since October 1st of 1998, Disability Rights Ohio has been designated as the Client Assistance Program, which is also mandated by federal law. 
CAP advocates for people who are applying for or receiving services from the Bureau of Vocational Rehabilitation or the Bureau of Services for the Visually Impaired and or independent living centers throughout Ohio. CAP also provides information on Title I of the Americans with Disabilities Act. So basically, they helped out with the Americans with Disabilities Act and now are able to help people advocate for themselves to get assistance, um, whether that be for rent or anything else. Um, so yeah, they, they basically help people advocate for themselves to get like vocational rehabilitation or getting help if they can't see. Uh, the next one is the Protection and Advocacy for Individuals with Developmental Disabilities, or PADD. Um, this one was in 1975, when Congress had enacted the Developmental Disabilities Assistance and Bill of Rights Act to protect the human and civil rights of this vulnerable population. Congress recognized that a federally directed system of legal advocacy is necessary to ensure the human care treatment, habilitation, and protection of persons with developmental disabilities. The Protection and Advocacy for Individuals with Developmental Disabilities program serves people in Ohio communities and in developmental centers. The students with developmental disabilities receiving special education in private or public schools or other settings. So essentially, they are helping people with developmental disabilities be able to get the things that they need. Um, it helps advocate for them so that way they can have help with school. They can have help with work. They can have help with anything because they are a more vulnerable population. It's easier for them to get abused and neglected and mistreated. And so DRO, they really help people who need help the most. Up next, we have Protection and Advocacy for Voting Accessibility, PAVA. Disability Rights Ohio is mandated by the Help America Vote Act of 2002 to advocate for the rights of Ohio voters with disabilities and to assist the Secretary of State to fulfill the Secretary's obligations to those voters under federal law. This program educates individuals, communities, poll workers, and boards of education about the voting rights of people with disabilities. They monitor and investigate complaints about polling place accessibility and privacy, collaborate with other voting right advocates for systemic change for people with disabilities, participates in the implementation of provisions of the Help America Vote Act affecting people with disabilities, and assists and represents individual voters in state-based administrative grievance processes. So essentially, in human words, um, that means that anyone who has a disability, they are still able to go out and vote. They can still make choices for their America. They can still make choices for their community. They can still help us make choices, no matter how disabled they are. If they are competent and able to do that, then they should be able to. So they help all kinds of people be able to vote, whether that's going to the polling place, getting help at the polling place, or doing an at-home one. They're able to help people maintain all kinds of rights, not just human rights of eating and sleeping and having a home, 
but also rights to vote and make choices for their country. Up next, we have Protection and Advocacy for Individual Rights, PAIR. The Protection and Advocacy of Individual Rights program serves individuals with any significant disability other than the two groups the DRO has historically served and those eligible for the Client Assistance Program. Para-eligible people include, for example, those with chronic or serious medical conditions, people with physical disabilities, and people with traumatic brain injury, TBI, who receive the disabling injury after the age of 22. The PAIR program advocates for people who have been discriminated against or those whose rights have been violated. So it helps people who have been injured or have a disability that starts after the age of 22 to be able to advocate for themselves. So that way they don't have to be treated poorly and that they don't have to be looked over because they weren't given this disabled label at birth. You're still valid even if you were 47 or if you were 89 and you get hurt. You're still valid. You're still disabled and that's okay. Up next, we have Protection and Advocacy for Individuals with Mental Illness, P-A-I-M-I. And essentially, it is just like the other ones where instead of it being just a general thing, this one is for people who have mental disabilities or mental illness. Um, It's like a whole separate thing. So that way they can make sure that every group is able to get individualized care that they need. The next one is just like the other ones, um, but this one is specifically for people with traumatic brain injuries. Um, So they want to make sure that people with traumatic brain injuries are still considered to be disabled and protected. The next one is Strengthening Protections for Social Security Beneficiaries Act. This one's a little wordy. In August of 2018, Disability Rights Ohio started implementing the Strengthening Protections for Social Security Beneficiaries Act. In partnership with the Social Security Administration, DRO manages this program designed to increase independent oversight and protection for beneficiaries who use a representative payee. This follows investigations that some representative payees people who act as the receiver of Social Security disability or supplemental security income for people who are not fully capable of managing their own benefits, have mistreated the very people they were supposed to help. This act allows Disability Rights Ohio to investigate and review how representative payees administer these funds. Additionally, the program allows DRO to report representative payees that steal and misuse funds for otherwise exploit, neglect, or abuse their beneficiaries to the Social Security Administration. So essentially, if someone is being taken care of by someone else and that person is handling their Social Security checks, they will be investigated to make sure that they are actually doing what they are supposed to do with those checks, that that money is supposed to go to that person and that person's home. So anytime that someone is, like, caught misusing this person's check or stealing their money, 
that automatically will get them reported. And that can help protect that person who cannot otherwise protect themselves. And the last one is Work Incentives Planning and Assistance, WIPA. The Ticket to Work and Work Incentives Improvement Act of 1999 authorized Social Security to award grants, contracts, or cooperative agreements to provide community-based work incentives expertise to beneficiaries of Social Security or based on disability. So basically, anyone who needs a job or wants a job is able to get one through this work incentives planning because everyone deserves a ticket to work. Um, I think that's why they call it that, ticket to work. (laughs) But yeah, they have also donated $150 million dollars Um, an investment to expand the public health workforce within the aging and disability networks nationwide, specifically to recruit, hire, and train public health workers to respond to the COVID-19 pandemic and prepare for future public health challenges. Now, that might have been updated right in the middle of COVID, but they are continuing to make things easier for people to get the medication and help that they need. So, without further ado, we are going to go into the stories, Um, and they are a doozy, (laughs) so if you cry easily like me, you be ready. This first one is titled, The VA Hospital Put Her Dog Out, We Let Him Back In. Army veteran Lisa Wilson just wanted to get back to work. Her service dog, Bo, is trained to help Lisa get up or to get help when she falls, to retrieve items, to provide balance and stability when she walks, and even to pull her in her manual wheelchair, thanks to a special harness. Lisa's disabilities are partial paralysis and traumatic brain injury. They make it unsafe for her to lead Bo on a leash, so the dog is outfitted with an electric collar that Lisa has rarely had to use. Her job with the veteran service organization Disabled American Veterans was located inside the VA Medical Center in Cincinnati. Shortly after beginning her work, the VA informed her of their policy that Bo would not be allowed in the hospital without a short leash. Explaining the situation did not change the VA's decision, so she complied with the request and started using a short leash, even though Bo was not trained to use one. Bo then began to bark at people. His barking got him banned from the VA. With no way to get around safely, she lost her job. And even though disabled American veterans made it clear that she could return when the problem with the VA was resolved, the frustrating part for her was that not only could she not go to work, but she was not allowed to come to the hospital for her own primary care. That was very stressful, Lisa explains. I had started going to Louisville, Kentucky for care, 90 miles away. Depressed and frustrated, she called Disability Rights Ohio for help. DRO attorney Jason Boylan contacted the VA multiple times in an attempt to work out the situation informally, 
but the VA refused to modify its leash policy or change its position towards Bo's return. With the help of a counsel, John Marshall, DRO, filled a complaint with the U.S. District Court, Southern District of Ohio. Under the pressure of this complaint, the VA eventually agreed to have Bo evaluated, which ultimately showed that he was not a threat. He did beautifully in his evaluation, as I always knew he would, Lisa says. More than a year and a half after Bo was banished from the VA, the VA agreed to allow Lisa to return to the facility with her dog. They awarded her back pay for both her time away from work and for the cost of additional training for the dog, so he will be officially VA certified. My main goal the whole time was to get back to work, and here I am, she reflects. I hope my story ends up helping another veteran. This problem is not just a Cincinnati or Ohio problem. It's all over. Now that one automatically gets me right off the bat because it's about a dog, you know? Um, And then you make it about a veteran's dog, and (laughs) I was literally trying to hold back tears. Um, But they essentially were trying to get rid of her and her service animal and didn't even really give her a chance to say, hey, he does not do well with a leash because he's never used one in his entire life. Obviously, he's going to bark at people. That's how dogs work. And they said, oh, well, that's just too damn bad. And then just threw her out. But Miss Wilson was able to turn around, go to DRO, and get some representation. So that way she could advocate for herself and for her little beau so that she could get her job back and could continue to go to the doctor that is not 90 miles away. Our next story is titled, Jordan Zimmerman's Teacher Had a Lot to Learn About Autism. Jordan Zimmerman has autism, which for her comes with sensory and communication struggles, with a tendency to interpret things in a concrete way. For several years, she was moved from program to program at a variety of different schools. Nothing ever worked out. Eventually, she ended up spending her days in a room by herself doing repetitive tasks. I was bored and lonely, Jordan explains. I wanted to be in class with my peers. In December of 2013, an incident between Jordan and a teacher led her to being removed from Hudson High School in Northeast Ohio. Two days before her mother Karen was to meet with school administrators, She called Disability Rights to find out what her rights were and how to best advocate for her daughter. DRO attorney Virginia Wilson got the case. Immediately, through an iPad, Jordan was able to speak with Virginia in complete sentences. They spent hours discussing Jordan's frustrations about her situation and her hopes for the future. It was a breakthrough. That was a surprise for everyone but Jordan. Virginia worked closely with the school district on Jordan's IEP team for the next year and a half. To get everything in place for Jordan, she also requested an assistive technology evaluation to help Jordan use her iPad so that she would be better equipped to communicate with her teachers. Once Jordan could show what she knew by using her iPad to communicate, things at school started to change. 
and the team could start to really focus on helping Jordan learn the skills that she needed to meet her goal of becoming a special education teacher. In addition to her academic achievements, the iPad has given Jordan a way to speak to the broader community. Jordan has given a variety of presentations to various groups about her disability. Her educational pitfalls and the tremendous benefit that she has received from assistive technology. Now that I'm a part of a school community, I'm also a part of my own community, Jordan says. A school is part of the community, and if a student doesn't feel included, it isn't good. Inclusion shouldn't just be a buzzword. It's important for people with disabilities to be included as valued parts of their school and communities. The key to that is to find ways to understand and help one another. (sighs) Okay, I will be doing an episode on autism soon. Um, But autism is one of those ones that it breaks my heart because these poor kids... It's not their fault. They can't do everything that everybody else can do. But just with one little thing, one little iPad, this girl's whole life turned around. Now she's going to be a teacher. That's, that is incredible. And DRO was able to be there to help her mom when her mom felt like she had no other options but to turn to them. And that was probably the best thing that Jordan's mom could have done for her and is something that I'm sure that Jordan will be able to think about and remember and grow from for the rest of her life. And finally, this last story is called We Helped Karen Into a House and Educated a Community on Making Her Feel at Home. Karen Berry has developmental disabilities and is nonverbal. She had lived in Summit County for a long time with her dad, Tom, as her guardian. But as Tom got older, he realized it was more and more difficult for him to care for her. I started talking about buying a house for Karen, he says. Summit Housing develops and maintains housing for people with disabilities. Working with Tom, they found and purchased a house, and Karen was slated to move in on September 1st of 2015, along with three other women with developmental disabilities. The problem started when neighbors uncovered that the house was owned by a business and would be home for people with disabilities. Marietta's law director and private attorney believe that the plans for the house were violation of zoning and a private deed restrictions. Susan Tilton, the superintendent of the Washington County Board of Developmental Disabilities, took action and called Disability Rights Ohio on behalf of the women on Friday, August 21st, requesting the agency's help. The DRO team believed that stereotypes, fear, and discrimination were at work, and that if the city took action to prevent the women from moving into their home, this would violate the Fair Housing Act, says Kirsten Schauberg-Witt, that is the best I can do, DRO's Director of Advocacy. By Monday, August 24th, DRO had prepared a letter to the Marietta Law Director and City Council, citing the Fair Housing Act and requesting that accommodations be made for the women and their home. DRO team members drove to Marietta for a second public hearing on Tuesday, August 25th. 
Kirsten was the first person to speak when the issue was open for public comment. We wanted to set the tone, she explains. I made it clear that this is a home, not a business. That they want to be a part of the community. As people raised questions, I responded and explained. It was really about educating and informing the council and the neighbors. Karen and her housemates moved in on September 1st, and the council voted unanimously to approve the reasonable accommodation request on September 17th. When asked if DRO helped make a difference, Rosie Reed, the guardian of one of Karen's housemates, had nothing but glowing words. I think the DRO made a big difference. Coming into the council meeting, she explains, DRO really set a tone that this is bigger than four women on Pebble Drive. This goes back to the Fair Housing Act and civil rights. Even better, she hears that the council is planning to pursue some grant funding to write a plan to be more proactive about similar situations. I think they'll do things better, she says. Because of this, people will be helped in the future. DRO was able to help these people. They were able to help that community see that they should not be afraid or disgusted or anything by disabled people living in their community. They were able to step in and say, hey, this is not a zone violation. This is discrimination. They were able to come in and say, hey, these women, they need somewhere to live too. And they deserve to live here by you. And I just think that that's amazing. Uh, it's, it's the work that they do for the people who literally cannot fend for themselves that made me so excited to do this podcast. It made me so excited to do this episode on DRO because they really came through for people like Karen. And that's something that you don't find every day. If you or someone that you know is being affected by something that you think the DRO can help you with, you can contact them at 614-466-7264. That's 614-466-7264. Or you can contact them at one 800 282 that's 1-800-282-9181. Their business hours are Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. and 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. Or you can complete their intake form on their website, which will be posted in the description below. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, guys. And I will see you next week with a mini episode on celiac disease. Hopefully you guys are able to go and check out DRO's website and some of the great things that they've done for people. And I hope that I was able to explain this in a way that it made sense. So thank you so much. And I'll see you all next week on It Bees Like That.